This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. You are in a seminar called Red Tape to Red Carpet, your global contribution or your unique participation in the Global Adventist Church. Um, I don't know why you're all here. Uh, I, would, I would think if, you were, if I were here, I'd go to another seminar because there's so many other good ones. Uh, but you may be stuck here because someone else recommended it or you're, something, you're into red tape and red carpets and, and for some reason that you're uh, wanting to know about the global church. My name is Justin Kim. I'm a director of communications for the Michigan Conference. Uh, I've been part of GYC leadership for a while. And I've been a Seventh-day Adventist my majority of my life, but the majority of my life, I did not know how the, uh, the global Adventist church worked. So if you're a nerd like I am, you will enjoy this presentation. If you're not a nerd, you're going to fall asleep, and you're welcome to do so. Uh, but I'm, I will request that you go to the back row and fall asleep there, not to impede anyone else's attention. Um, this is going to be not, per se, a Bible study. Is that okay with you all? Uh, this is going to be a pragmatic, organizational look at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, uh, you know, the Adventist Church organization is not mentioned in Scripture. But there is a discipline out there called ecclesiology. And you are all part of the remnant church. The what church, everyone? And so we're going to look at how that looks out practically. And when, it looks at the great, when we look at the great uh, commission that Jesus gave, how does the organization of the church meet the objectives that Jesus has given us? Does that make sense, everyone? Okay. Uh, before we start, I'm going to ask that you were to have a, we have a word of prayer together, and then we'll get started today. Okay? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask very humbly uh, for that submissive attitude that was presented at the morning devotion to be real, uh, especially for this next hour. Uh, Lord, I submit to you, we ask, I ask for your Holy Spirit to speak through me. I ask that every person who hears this on the recording, and especially for those of my brothers and sisters who are sitting at the seminar now, help us to be amazed, awed, and overwhelmed of this great object of your regard that you have of this church. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This logo is the logo of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This logo is not inspired. It is not, Ellen White didn't have a, a vision about it. So there's nothing powerful about this logo. But I mention this because I'm very proud to be part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay? How many of you all have, your, uh, know, have church membership and you know where your church membership is? Raise your hand. Okay, hands down. But ask, let me ask this question. How many of you don't know where your church membership is? Raise your hand, the guilty ones. Okay, that's okay. We still love you. You're still welcome to the seminar. Um, there, when I was a young person, and in many regards, I, I still think of myself as a young person, even though my hair doesn't uh, show for it, is that I did not understand how the Seventh-day Adventist Church works. Does that make sense? And once I understood how the church works, I got really excited about it. And if you don't get anything out of this seminar, this is my, the whole point. Grow up. Amen? Amen? What did I say? Today, the expectation for young people is so low that you're 30 years old, 35 years old, 40 years old, 55 years old, and you're considered still a young adult. 
The whole point of the seminar is grow up. Did I say that loud enough? I don't mean that offensively in any way. I just want the emphasis. And what I mean is, when you, how many of you go to potluck and you bring food to the potluck? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you go and you're 50, if you're 55 years old and you still mooch off the potluck? Don't raise your hands. Uh, I'm going to be talking about church board meetings, business meetings, Sabbath school involvement, what it means to be involved in your church. But to understand how the local church works, we need to understand how the global church works. Does that make sense? Okay. And if you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not understand this, and you will think of this as a, a bureaucratic mess. But if you have a hardcore relationship with Jesus, you will understand that keeping the Sabbath and not watching TV on Sabbath is not the only thing about being a Seventh-day Adventist. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. There are two church, world church entities found in Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, you should all know this and memorize this. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every... And... And, and, Revelation 16, verse 13 also talks about three other entities. And we'll go to the bold in verse 14. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole what? So you have three, two sets of three going out to the whole world. Okay? You have three frogs or three angels. The book of Revelation is about contrast and talks about different sides. You have the Holy Trinity and you have the false trinity. You have the Great Supper and you have the, the Supper of the Wicked where the, the birds are eating the dead bodies. Anyway, you have three sets, uh, two sets of three. One is found in Revelation 13 and it's described and, 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 and named in chapter 16 but the plan is found in chapter 13. God's plan to counteract chapter 13 is found in chapter 14. So question is, how many of you want to be part of plan 13? Raise your hands. I'm glad you're all awake. How many of you want to be part of 14? Raise your hands. I'm glad you're more awake. Now, three frogs. What in the world are three frogs? Where are frogs found in Revelation, uh, in the Bible? Pharaoh. What is so special about frogs and Pharaoh? Now, if you don't know your Bible, then you're going to be utterly lost. I, was, I, I got back from an international trip, and I had TV back then, and I watched TV 4 in the morning because of jet lag, and I got on some Sunday evangelical channel, and they were, they were, deli- they were uh, 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 doing Bible study on the three frogs. And this is what they concluded. Three frogs are, 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 are three frogs. And frogs are green, Yes? Now, what is green? Tanks. American tanks are green. So, therefore, the three frogs of Revelation are three American tanks. And the three tanks are going to go to the whole world, and America is going to conquer the whole world. But you have three angels, and what are angels? Well, they're in the sky. Well, what's in the sky? UFOs. So UFOs will come and they're going to they're going to undo what America has done. Does that make any sense? Now, if you don't have your bearings and please don't I don't know why you're why you're writing those notes down because that's not biblical. If you don't know the Bible and what you need to do is you, the revelation gets all of its cues from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Jude. Yes? So three frogs we found in, we found in, 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 in uh, Pharaoh's time in Exodus. What's so special about the frogs? 
crickets. <laughs> Three frogs was the last deception, last miracle that they, that they could reproduce. After that point, the, the, the magicians could not reproduce these frogs, uh, the, the plagues. Okay? So these frogs, the frog is a symbol of Satan's last attempt to deceive the whole world. Does it make sense? Now, three angels. Where do you find three angels in Scripture? Uh, Christmas time, uh, the shepherds. No, three angels. Where do you find three angels? Okay, and Reve- obviously, Revelation. Where else do you find it in? Genesis. Someone said, Gen- where in Genesis? Abraham, okay? Three angels came to Abraham, and what was their purpose? Their purpose in visiting Abraham was to warn Abraham of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, yes? So these three angels are are God's last attempt to warn the world. So there's two movements that are happening in the world. One is going to deceive and conquer the world. The other is going to warn the world. Does that make sense? So the, the, the cipher, the three or the three. So how many of you want to be not part of 13 and be part of 14? Now, if you're going to conquer the world, and this is, I, I'm not, hopefully this is not some kind of entertaining thing. We are set to conquer the world. Amen? Amen. But not for, you know, not this, you know, this. <laughs> for the recording, I'm using my hands in a very, you know, cryptic creepy way. We're not conquering the world for our ambition, for our pride. And I, I praise the Lord for this morning's morning devotional. I appreciate that very much. If you missed it, you are dumb, okay? You need to go, go, go hear it. But we are to conquer the world to warn the world about chapter 13. Does this make sense? Now, if you're going to conquer the world, that's not, that's not just to happen by chance. There needs to be a, an initiative, a structure, a movement by which this happens. And what, what I'm saying is, what we need today for this movement to succeed is a new, fresh generation of young people who know how to use their phones. Amen? Okay? The majority of something Amish church, the average member is above the age 55 in North America. The average age. Praise the Lord, the average age in here is not 55, I don't think, unless you all, you know, put some cold cream on this morning. Um, there is a, a, in the biblical global church, okay, this, what, what unites us is one, the church in belief is our theology, okay? The book, 28 Fundamental Doctrines of the Something Adventist Church, is a symbol of this. Number two is we all practice, we all play by the same rules. All of you who are bona fide Seventh-day Adventists, you should be reading your church manual. Your what? Now, it is not the most exciting thing you're going to read in the history of your life. But read your church manual. And if you're like, I don't want to read the church manual, grow up. Amen? Amen. And I said it with a smile, with all love. But read your church manual. And we're going to look at some passages. And it's, it's actually fascinating. Number three is the church and sustenance. We're going to talk about tithe and money. Tithe is what makes the church flow. Now, instead of, some of you may be cynical. I was a, I'm a deeply cynical person. I used to think tithe was used for these corrupt church leaders with these long fingernails and rings on their fingers and hey, give me your tithe. And that's, that's a different church. It's not the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, the church in action, we're going to talk about Sabbath school. How many of you attend your local church Sabbath school? Raise your hand. Okay? Not teaching primary or creator role. You're actually in a class studying uh, some, some portion of scripture. Raise your hands high. Okay? Praise the Lord. 
Okay? That's those, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're either not a Seventh-day Adventist or you're falling asleep or you're asleep on Saturday morning at 9.30 because it's too early in the morning. It is not early on Saturday morning. Amen? Grow up. Amen? Okay. Please don't hate me. And the last one is a church in communication. One form of communication that unites the world church together is the Adventist Review or the Adventist World. This is the magazine that every Seventh-day Adventist has. So you look at these things. Every Seventh-day Adventist has these documents or these books by which they believe, they practice. Uh, Tithe is not a book, but you have the Sabbath School Quarterly, and you have Adventist Review, Adventist Review, and the whole world church participates in this. There is no other denomination that has a world church entity organizational structure. Now, we're going to look at different structures. And if, you, if I'm, I'm a total nerd when it comes to this, I love this stuff. I, was, uh, I went to a, a Catholic school for four years in my, during high school. I went to a Jewish college. Uh, I, went, I joined an evangelical Bible study group for a couple years. I was a missionary to Buddhists in Korea. And, uh, and, and I, I was a pastor in... Detroit, where there are many Muslims there, and so I'm very interested in all these world faiths, and I, look, I love looking at church structure and how I plug into that. Uh, I wish someone explained this to me when I was younger. Number one is the Episcopal form of structure. What is it called? Can you hear me? Okay. Episcopal. It comes from the Latin or Greek or some old word. I forgot what it was. It means episcopos. Okay, scope is the mouthwash that some have used this morning. But another word for scope is the sea. So over sea is episcope. We get the, the Latin word is episcopus, where we get the word bishop today for in English because English is, is awesome. Uh, church governance under the Episcopal system is by bishops. Is by who? Bishops are these people who, according to different denominations, they have these long hats or robes, but, or sometimes in the British, they look normal people in the Anglican system, but they have these long chains around them. Anyway, there's this hierarchy. There's a what, everyone? Hierarchy. So bishops, underneath bishops are priests and clergy, and under uh, 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 priests and clergy are deacons. And these deacons are not what we, are, we understand as Adventist uh, uh, deacons to be their different form. Now this is, these are Anglicans or Lutherans or Orthodox. And what happens is this is a formal hierarchy. Your church membership, your tithe, your, uh, your belief system, ha- you have no role in this whatsoever. It is all dictated by the people upstairs. It trickles down to the people on the middle stairs. It trickles down to the people on the first stair. Then it trickles down to you in the garage. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing this system, but, uh, but there are faults to the system of which the Reformation is trying to get away from. Okay? One version of this, 1A, is the papal system, the the Roman Catholic Church. And ecclesiologically speaking, there are only two world church structures in in all of all the religions out there. One is the Roman Catholic Church. Number two is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Amen? Now, you may be thinking, well, what about Baptists? What about... They do not have in its structure a world system. Does that make sense? In its structure... In the papal system, supreme authority is in the pope. He chooses the cardinals. Cardinals are the guys who wear the red cardinal. They look like the birds. Okay? Cardinals, uh, they have the archbishops underneath them, and bishops, and then priests. 
local church or individual members have no authority in church administration. And in, under this structure, there is a clear delineation from clergy and laity. Does that make sense? And this is where clergy, and when you, when you do confession and some of these things, they do not represent Jesus. They actually subsume and they, they, they claim the, the, the position of Jesus. And when they're giving forth the communion, this communion bread is not a symbol of Jesus. It actually is Jesus. So you as, you as, a, as, a, as laity, you're walking around like, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not holy enough to meet Jesus. So, so you go up to the communion, and then in the old ways, you don't even touch Jesus. You just go up to the priest, and you're like, ah, and you stick your tongue out. And then it's the holy man who is Jesus and has holding Jesus, puts Jesus in your mouth. And then you eat Jesus, and then Jesus is in you. Amen? Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I mean, you, should, you should be saying no. I don't know why you, some of you said amen. Some of you brainwashed to say amen because I said amen. Number two. The second system out there is called the independent system or the congregational ecclesiology. Okay? Ecclesiologist means a study of church structure. It's for nerds. Okay? Uh, local church, uh, church has supreme authority. Okay? When I mean the local church, that means the, the local, um, what, what town are we in? Um, <laughs> Phoenix Church decides what you believe. The Phoenix Church decides where you're to, what, we to do with, what to do with your tithe. The, the local church has supreme authority, in authority in theology, in personnel, in tithe, localized in one spot. Uh, there are a lot of congregational churches. I don't know if you drive by in, in the country, countryside and you'll see um you know something something bible church or da 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 da, da whatever church we're a non-denominational independent congregational church their church board actually decides the pastor you see you see how this works the church board gets together and they're like yeah hey, we'd like to interview justin kim uh, what do you believe oh i believe in the sabbath oh no we don't like you we want we want to we want to uh, choose a pastor that believes the same way we do so then they find another pastor, and they make, they, they, they make him the pastor. And then, like, now that you're our pastor, you tell us what we should believe. Is there anything wrong with that system? It's cyclical. And under this system, all the tithe from the congregation goes to one person. Guess who that person is? Pastor. So as that pastor is doing motivation and people become church members and he's proclaiming the, the, that we should be obedient to Jesus Christ by giving our tithe, who gets the salary benefits from that congregation, one individual. So you understand some of these mega churches that are under this congregational system that have 50,000 members? Guess what the annual salary for that one pastor is? Do you understand how one pastor can get five houses and a couple yachts in Florida and they're going around the world and da 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 okay? That is impossible in the Seventh-day Adventist system. And I'm a pastor of this system. I'm telling you, it is impossible. For some of you who are thinking about you know, future career opportunities, that will never happen. And if it does, call me because I want to find out how, who this guy is and how they're abusing the system. Okay. Now, you understand that this is not fair. If you have Phoenix Central Church and they have 5,000 members, the pastor is going to get a lot of money. And then you go to, I don't, I don't know anything in Arizona, uh, the Grand Canyon Church. Okay. And... <laughs> Who lives in the Grand Canyon Church? Like, like let's say the ranger. He goes to church there, okay? Uh, what's going to be the salary of the pastor of the Grand Canyon Church? 
I mean, the ranger makes, what, $30,000? He's going to get annual salary is $3,000. So what happens? His motivation to do evangelism is what? Man, I got I to, gotta, you know, eat. <laughs> so will you come to my church? Can you pay tithe? And then the Phoenix guy, is he, is he motivated to do evangelism? No. So what happens? The work becomes crystallized. It becomes uh, fractured. It becomes competitive. This is, this is not a, a good system. Does that make sense? In the papal system, we go back one slide, everything is decided by one guy. All the money goes up, and he decides, and he appropriates the way that, that he sees fit. The third system is called the Presbyterian system. This is where the Seventh-day Adventist church kind of fits. Authority rests on church membership through assemblies. Local church is governed by one assembly. This assembly is governed by another wider assembly. This theory of governance was developed by who? You all know him. If you don't know him, read Great Controversy and John Knox. The most popular, it's most popular in Reformation movement churches. The word for bishop is the word for presbyter. It was the same word as episcopus, which basically means elder. That's when the Seventh-day Adventist church, when you meet a pastor, oh, you are up here, you're a high up ranking elder. (laughs) It's the normal elder. Amen? We don't call him, you don't call him Archbishop Ted Wilson. He, he'll, he'll look at you really weird, okay? Executive responsibility is delegated to what? Represented bodies. And this form, this, even this idea of a larger group having a representative is found in Protestantism and is the foundation for democracy. Do you understand? America rising up, Protestant nations, like this is, okay, I'm getting too excited. The Adventist system is a version of number four, okay? Now, the difference is authority in the, in the church rests in church what? Membership. Membership. So all of you, when you're baptized, and I know for your salvation, it, your salvation is dependent on, on baptism. Does that make sense? And what I mean dependent, I'm not saying like dependent, dependent, but it is not, membership has nothing to do with salvation. Amen? Is that, is that clear? But what membership means is means your part, your willingness to participate in the larger goal of the church. Does that make sense? That means if you have church membership, you all have a right to raise your hand and vote in a church business meeting. Or if you're an elected leader, you get to vote in the church board meeting. And I'm going to talk about church board meetings in, our, in the next, next one. Now, the whole purpose of all of this, of levels, of, of organization, and all this stuff, if you're cynical, you may be thinking this is like, you know, people in suits and bureaucracy and blah, blah, blah. blah. The whole point is to facilitate the great commission that Jesus has given us. That's our number one goal. And if there's anything that's outside of that, you have a moral responsibility to raise your hand and say, what does this have to do with what Jesus tells us to do as a church? Does that make sense? Now, now, uh, in in, in the the latter four seminars, Carissa McSherry is going to talk about the actual organics of that that happens. I'm going to give you, I'm giving you the formal structure of 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 uh, of why we're here. Executive responsibility is delegated to representative bodies and and officers. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there are three levels of conferences. Number one is the local conference. Yes. You all should know which local conference that you're, you belong to. This is where your tithe goes. I mean, your tithe goes to the local church, but they send it up to local. We'll talk about that. The local conferences are part of union conferences. 
And the union conferences make up the, about the general conference. Now, if you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, you'll be like, eh, I think there's an error here. Um, there's a missing level. What's that missing level? Okay, there are three levels of conferences. Divisions are not a separate level. The reason they're called divisions, they are divisions of the, the general conference. They're actually the same level. Okay, so for example, this is this is I love this map. I could stare at it forever and marry it, but I'm already married. Uh, there are 13. I think there's 13 world divisions out there. The world is divided up. And the reason why the world is divided up, I mean, it's not like the church leaders are playing risk, okay? And they're like, okay, I'm going to take over your, you know, my armies. The world is divided up so that local members are made more efficient to carry the gospel in their local contexts. Amen? Um, so we're part of NAD, and I, the, the reason I'm giving this seminar is all of you should attend GC session next year in 2015 in San Antonio. A lot of us... This, uh, I, I get it, I get it. This year in 2015. Okay, go to GC this year in 2015 because you, a lot of you are, a lot of you, a lot, me too, we're part of these dinky little churches in the middle of nowhere. Amen? You're like, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. There's only like two people here and, and she's like 99 years old. And so what happens is, and that, that's cool, and I know I'm exaggerating, but when you go to general conference session, you see like, whoa, 80,000 people, and they're all Seventh-day Adventists. And you realize, like, whoa, they're like Kenyan Adventists from Kenya. <laughs> they're like, you know, Sri Lanka. Oh, are you, are you Kenyan? Oh, see. Sri Lankan Adventists from Sri Lanka. Okinawan Japanese Adventists, like one of them, you know. <laughs> but you start realizing, like, man, my Seventh-day Adventism, my, my, my religion, my Jesusness, is not just me and my 99-year-old grandmother sitting in a cold church for Sabbath school at 9.29 in the morning. Does that make sense? Like, I'm actually part of a world movement. Like, th those Jamaicans over there, I don't look anything like them, but those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, those Russians, Adventists, I don't know what they're saying, but it's something that has to do with the three angels' messages. Yes? And you realize, man, I am just one of this entire movement, and it's an overwhelming, awesome, it's the, humbly speaking, and I have no basis to say this, it's the closest to heaven. Not because of the character and sanctification and righteousness, no, just in terms of its people diversity. Anyway, this is the world church, and you get to see how uh, the play of interplay of policy and evangelism and gospel works. This is one example of a division of, of, uh, of, the, of, the, world, of the general conference. This is called the West Central African Division. Uh, if you want to know anything about world missions, Africa, and we always see these, these commercials about Africa, about you know, this, this poor little boy, and he's starving, and the African needs your help. And then the next channel, you see like, these African giraffes, and they're all like, eating plentifully. And it makes Africa seem like these, the people are suffering, but the, the animals are healthy, right? But in America, and Australia, and Europe, this is the place where Christianity has, has, has won. This is not the case. The gospel is flying in Africa. It's flying in South America. It's flying places in, in Central and, and, and Southern Asia. It's dying 
guess where? In North America, Australia, and Europe. Okay. Anyway, this, this Africa has three divisions just in one continent. America, anyway, we won't talk about America. Anyway, you see these different countries, and these are all these different unions. This is a, one example of a union. This is the North Pacific Union of North America. As you see, that it's comprised of local conferences. Sometimes the local conference looks like the state. Sometimes it's a weird, like, Upper Columbia's like, I, I want to be cool, and so they look kind of different. And then Washington's like, I'm not cool enough, so they, they're, they're like that. Uh, and but that's how the work has been divided. And then you have local conferences. For example, the Arizona conference looks like the state of, and so they're pretty cool, okay? Now, the most powerful entity in the Seventh-day Adventist church is not the general conference. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and maybe that upsets some of you. Uh, the, 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 what I see happening in, from, from what I hear and what I see happening is a lot of people feel like, man, I have this frustration with the Adventist church. Let me take it up with Ted Wilson. Ted, Mr. Ted Wilson, oh, Elder Ted Wilson, I don't like the color of our church you know, carpet. And you're the most powerful man on earth. Can you change our church carpet? And he's like, uh, I can't. Okay. He only works within the boundaries and the power allotted to him. Power has been dispersed all throughout the Seventh-day Adventist church to prevent a papalization happening in this church structure. Can anyone say amen to that? Okay. The most powerful entity is the local church. The local church has power over your membership. Do you know that? Your conference president cannot come down to your local church and says, you know what, I don't like you. I'm nixing you off of our books, man. And he erases your name. Okay. By the way, church membership books and salvation books in heaven have nothing in, in common. Amen? It's not when you delete it. You don't delete it in heaven. It doesn't happen. Okay. I know some of you would like to... Okay, we won't talk about that. So local church is the most powerful entity. It's power over membership. The local conference is over the selection and training of your pastors. Does this make sense? So what happens is, in congregational systems, if a local congregation doesn't like the pastor, guess what happens? Uh, pastor, uh, we've had a church board with, uh, without you. Uh, we just didn't invite you, and we all unanimously voted. You're fired because we don't like the Sabbath, and you're preaching about the Sabbath, so we want to believe in the Sunday, so you're fired. That happens more times than we know it in congregational systems. In the Seventh-day Adventist church, to, pre- to preserve the purity of our belief and practice as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, pastors are under the jurisdiction of the local conference. Members are under the jurisdiction of the local church. Does that make sense? The division of power. Third is the union conference. It's probably the weakest link of all of these. The union conference it decides the policies for the, local, uh, for the local conference leadership. Again, if the local conference has the power to decide its own policies, there's a, there's a power play that's uh, unfair there. And lastly, the general conference is, has overseeing world mission throughout the world. Some quotes from Ellen White. God has not set any kingly power in the Seventh-day Adventist church to control the whole body or to control any branch of the work. He has not, provide, he has, he has not provided that burden of leadership shall rest upon what? A few good men. 
a few men, sorry. Uh, responsibilities are distributed among a large number of competent men. Every member of the church has a voice in choosing officers of the church. The church then chooses officers of the state conferences. Delegates, delegates chosen by the state conferences choose the officers of the union conferences. And then delegates chosen by the union conferences choose the officers of the general conference. By this arrangement, every conference, every institution, every church, every individual, either directly or through who? has a voice in the election of men who bear the chief responsibilities of the general conference. Okay? Now, for this reason, this is why the Seventh-day Irish Church, and I'll say it, does it use a, excuse me, does it use a lot of money to bring people all over the world to GC session? And if you look at the paperwork, it does. Okay, it does. It's just a lot of money. But that's the value that the world church places on world unity. And it's not, and the world unity is to plan and to push the gospel forward. It's not just for fellowship alone. Amen? If it was just fellowship alone, it would be the most expensive party on earth. Uh, by this arrangement, oh, we read, we read that. Next one. Are you guys still with me here? Are you guys interested in this? Okay, if you're not, then <laughs> tough. God has ordained that the representatives of his church from all parts of the earth, when assembled in a general conference, shall have authority. The error that some are in danger of committing is, giving to, is in giving to the mind and judgment of one man or of a small group of men the full measure of authority and influence that God has vested in his church in the judgment and voice of the general conference assembled to plan for the prosperity and advancement of his work. Meaning, we give our power to many people and distribute as much as possible. The goal, what in the world is the goal of all this? Your Christianity, your religion, your spirituality is not a private matter between you and God. It is a private matter and it is a public matter. Amen? If you're not a Christian publicly, are you even a Christian at all to begin with? Now, what I mean by publicly, I'm not saying like you have like billboards and neon signs and, you know, no, that's just annoying, okay? That means witnessing in a winsome, Christ-like, humble way, amen? And so when you, baptize, or when you witness to someone and you go through bap baptism studies, what are you going to do with that person afterwards? You're going to bring them to your what? Your church. Now, this is the basis for your membership. Your membership, you choose your church, not based on how you shop. Amen? Amen? amen. <laughs> it was a threatening amen. You got, you got scared. Um, when you move into a new town, and this is all of you. Some of you are, are young, young people, and you're, you, when you move into a new town from a new job, you're like, oh, you know, I want to do some church shopping. I want to see how this church, I want to see what this church has to offer for me. Let's go to this church. Oh, you know, I just like the pastor. He loves his ties. He's got a great sense of style. So if he has to choose great ties, then he's going to choose make great decisions. Of course, you go to that church. You know, I don't like this church. It kind of has a weird smell to it. Carpet's kind of, you know, from the 1963 uh, mold, you know, I don't like, oh man, I don't like this church because, you know, the, uh, the mortgage pay, I don't, oh, no, no children's program. The basis by which you choose your local church is when you study with someone, when you disciple someone, and you bring them to the faith, what church are you comfortable in bringing them to? Not where are you comfortable. If they don't have a children's program, what should you do? Start with. If the carpet's too old, what do you do? Rip out their carpet. 
Uh, I mean, join the church first. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18, 19. This is the, the gospel commission. Excuse me. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, and you all know this, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, get this. Oh, that Satan would rejoice if he could succeed in his efforts to get in among, his pe- in, among this people and disorganize the work at, this, at a time when thorough organization is what? I'm not going to read the rest of the quote, but the whole point is this. And I was one of these people. I hate organized religion. Have you heard that before? Now, very, very interesting. When someone asked me, Why? I actually, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm like, wait, what? why do I hate organized religion? Because, uh, I don't know, everyone else says that. That's why I said it. <laughs> and I started thinking, I'm like, why do I hate organized? Well, it's because people are wearing suits behind these, these closed doors and these committee meetings, and, and they're conniving to get my money. Okay? And there may be entities like that. But you want to ask yourself, if a religion is organized, or, and to be, to be honest, Every organization is organized. That's why it's called an organization. They have a primary objective. The entertainment organizations, they have an objective. The music industry has an objective. Walmart has an objective. eBay has an objective. Amen? They're all organized societies of evil. Now you have one entity here, and its objective is what? Is the gospel work. Shouldn't we be a part of it if you are part of the gospel work also? Amen? God has ordained that the representatives of his church from all parts of the earth, and I love that, global, when assembly and general conference shall have authority. This is, I threw this slide in there, it's about tithe. Um, Some of you know this, some of you don't. The local church gives 100% of its tithe to the local conference. So whether there's one member in Grand Canyon Adventist uh, Church, I hope, uh, man, maybe, I hope there's no actual church called Grand Canyon Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay, the smallest church, whether they have a small amount or they're in a city church, and they have a, it all goes to the same entity, and the conference distributes a pastor to each of those churches, and they get the same salary. Yes? So motivation is not to get more church members to get tithe to be higher. It's their motivation is just to do evangelism for evangelism's sake. Amen? If the local church fires them, then the local conference says, uh, you don't have that authority. You don't have that power to do that. And it preserves the, the doctrine of, of the Adventist church. Um, the local church gives 100% of its tithe to the local conference. The local conference, get this, gives 16% of its tithe to the division, 9% to the union. And get this, the union, what, of what it gets, gives another 10% to its to division. So what's happening is everyone's paying tithe to each other in the church. Okay, tithe, tithe, tithe. And what happens if there is an overflow? Now you, maybe, maybe you don't know this. These organizations give the, 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 the tithe, leftover tithe or leftover finances back to the local, local conference for local evangelism. Okay? The gospel work is where the, uh, um, the, the funds go to. We talked about the general conference in session. Um, look out for the 28 fundamental beliefs. 
Last, year, last time, I think it was last time, or it was two times ago, uh, we talked about number 28 being added, uh, growing in Christ. The church in practice, they actually go through the church manual, and the church manual is not some inspired document. It takes the principles from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy and puts it into practice. Okay, that's application. It talks about tithe. The treasurer, treasurer will give a report on that, and then the Adventist Review and the Ward will talk about what's happening there. In your local church, how can you be a part of the world church? And then the answer is Sabbath school. It's what? I am the director of Sabbath School Mission Conference, so I, I'm, but I'm, I'm passionate about Sabbath school because here, when and I bring my quarterly with me, this weekend, this Saturday morning, we're going to be studying the Sabbath school quarterly. When you go to India, what do they study in Sabbath school? Sabbath school, Bible, the quarterly study guide. When you go to Japan, what do you study? They're going to be studying Proverbs this weekend. When you go to North Korea, South Korea, they're going to be studying uh, the Proverbs. When you go to, you know, Stalin, Stalin, I'm totally in a different world here. Everywhere around the world that you go, they're going to be studying one book together. So the, 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 the world church is on the same page when it comes to the, the Bible study, okay? How can you be in part of Sabbath school? Sabbath school, if what? And here's the passion that I have. A lot of our Sabbath schools are dumb, boring, not worth your time. You go there, church is cold, and I hate, and if, if, you, if you ever see this happening, you call them out on it in a godly, Christ-like, loving way. But I hate when people read the quarterly. Uh, today we're going to study our Sabbath school quarterly. Let's read from Sunday. Okay, John, did you do Sunday? Yes, I did. Okay, John, where you go? Today's study will be about the Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. What do you think about Colossians 3? And you read it. Well, if you do this, you reward those people who did not do their study. And you punish those people who did. Yes? Like, I already read this. I read this on Sunday. <laughs> Why are we reading it again? Okay. Sabbath school teachers, there's an art to teaching the word of God. Okay. And the point of Sabbath school Bible study is to study the what? It is not to study the quarterly. It's to study the what? The Bible. Okay. If rightly conducted is one of God's greatest instrumentalities to bring souls to a knowledge of the truth. It is not the best plan for teachers to do all the talking. Amen? Sometimes our teachers, it's like the pre-sermon, you know, and then you have the, the, the normal sermon. The pre anyway. But they should draw out the, the class to tell what they know. Let the teacher with a few pointed, brief pointed remarks or illustrations impress the lesson upon their minds. Under no circumstances should teachers go through the lesson mechanically, but never should the teacher sit down saying, I am through. There is no such thing as getting through with the lesson. This is Ellen White talking back in the 1800s, and we still have Sabbath school teachers still doing this. Okay. Uh, she also says in another, I didn't put this up there, do not study the Sabbath school quarterly on Friday night. And I'm like, oh, snap. How does she know, man? How does she, how does she know? Okay. Amen? Okay, as long as we get piercing of the heart together, it's okay. Okay? Okay. The four goals of Sabbath school, number one is to study the word of God. Number two is fellowship, is to hang out. 
Number three is evangelism. Number four is world missions. Now, here's the thing what, 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 I, what I experienced. When I was talking with some of the saints who are like a million years old in the Adventist church, they said in the 1960s or 1970s that Sabbath school was booming. People were like just coming in from the community, non-Adventists, and then when divine service started, they all snuck out. And divine service was like, you know, crickets. Something happened in the 80s and 90s, and no one knows why, but I have a guess that all of a sudden people stop. Oh, what, did I say something wrong? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, something happened that people stopped coming out to Sabbath school, and they started sneaking. Uh, they came late, and they snuck into divine service. Yes? How many of you today, your divine service is bigger than your, your Sabbath school? Raise your hand. Majority of churches. Okay, for those of you who did not raise your hand, your Sabbath school is larger than your divine service? Okay, blank look. Okay, that's good. I'm sorry? The member uh, attendance, not, not time. I mean, time and... Yeah. Um, so I, 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 my theory is that because of this movement of mega churches... They wanted the divine service to be evangelistic, so they opened up, and the worships stopped being worship. Worship was changed into this community-friendly, anyone-can-come performance where special musics were no longer special music offerings to God. They were now musical presentations. The sermon became a, uh, an evangelistically open message. And, and there, some of these things are great principles. But what happened is uh, Sabbath school stopped being evangelistic. And Sabbath school turned into this like, oh, we are the Adventists. Let us read these secret quotes from Ellen White all by ourselves together. And divine service, I'm like, oh, the non-Adventists are, oh, hello. <laughs> this is not to be the, the, not to be the case. Um, Sabbath school is supposed to be evangelistic. People are knocking on doors all throughout communities and saying, hey, how many of you want to be part of a Sabbath school program, a Bible study program? And people came to churches. The Sabbath school program was more popular than the Tupperware systems in neighborhoods. Amen. More household name than Mary Kay or the Avon lady. It was the Sabbath school lady. Okay. Number one, the word of God. You all should be studying your quarterly study guide. If you don't have the book, there's an app out there. Amen? And you can get it on like an alarm. And then every time, every same time, it's like, study your Sabbath school quarterly. And you study. I love it. Number two, the, uh, it should tell you how to study the Bible. Number three, you should be memorizing scripture. Memorizing what? Another pet peeve is, everyone, let's read the memory verse. Do not read the memory verse. Otherwise, it'd be called the reading verse. Amen? Grow up. Memorize it. You're not that dumb. Amen? <laughs> people are recording. The recording people are like, this guy is so angry. Um, I'm not. I'm just passionate. Uh, teacher that facilitates the discussion as a, orchestra, a conductor of an orchestra. The teacher, in reality, should not be the only one talking. Amen? He should be eliciting comments and questions and, and organizing this wonderful piece of music from the, the group. Um, groups should be six to eight members. Any less than six, it gets a little awkward. Okay? You ever have those moments when a teacher asks a question and there's only three people there and they're like, oh man, the pressure is overwhelming because that guy doesn't speak English and, and he's sleeping. So what do I do? 
I gotta answer every question? True story. And anything above eight, anything above eight, you realize, you, you, psychologically, like, dude, there's so many people in this class, I don't have to talk. I can just coast. And what happens, everyone has that mentality, and you get this, like, question, and everyone's, like, looking at each other. And it's an awkward conversation, and it's just awkward. Sabbath school's so awkward. Stop making it awkward. Amen? Use technology, use the apps, use, there's a lot of, you know, videos out there. And once a month, one idea is to flip divine service and Sabbath school the times around, okay? Um, sociologically speaking, the, the, the old, old, old generation, the, the generation before the baby boomers, they love Sabbath school. They have their quarterly, they have their Bible, they tuck it underneath their armpit. Their armpit is shaped around their Bible. You know, it's just, they come on time, they're in church at 925, they memorize all the hymns, boom. Baby boomer generation, they're like, ugh, they hate Sabbath school, but they come grudgingly. Oh, we don't want to be here, it's too early, ah, and they come in. Okay, Generation X, they hate everything in life anyway. Okay, I hate this, I hate that, oh, I hate this, I hate that, I hate that. So they don't come to Sabbath school. This new generation, millennials, get this. What's Sabbath school? Never heard of this. You mean there's like something before divine service? Wow. Now get this, sociologically speaking, once the millennial generation understands what Sabbath school is, they're diehard bought into a world movement. But they just have not been exposed to the values and the purity of a good Sabbath school program. Amen? If your Sabbath school stinks, make it better. Peter's message, and the, the word of God is very important in Sabbath school. Um, Peter's message in, in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this message. Okay? It's really short. The, the, the sermon, Peter's sermon, is 26 verses long. How many verses? But 13 of the 26, he's just quoting from the Old Testament. What percentage is that? Do your math. Come Asian people, hello. Hello, how about Okay, okay. All the non-Asians are like, 50%. Asians are like, uh, okay. 11 of the 26, I know, I know. 11 of the 26 are explanations of the Old Testament. Does that make sense? And the last two is an appeal. This is the outline for every sermon, for every Sabbath school study, for every Bible study you should have. You should be reading scripture, explaining scripture, and an appeal at the end. Amen? Have you been to Sabbath schools where they don't even open the scriptures? Horrible. Have you been to uh, Sabbath schools where they read scripture but no one explains it? And have you been to Sabbath schools where they read scripture, they explain it, and you read it, and you study it, and you read it, and you study it, and you read it, and you study it. It's never-ending study. And then ding, 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 ding. Okay, let's end, everyone, and you pray. And the prayer is just the formality. And you close. Every Bible study should have a point. A what, everyone? And that point should be an appeal, a claim. Hey, guys, let's do this. How many of you want to ask God to help you with this? Let's do something this Appeal to action. Amen? Result, 3,000 baptisms. Should be memorizing God's word. Memorize your Bible, your memory verses. Amen, everyone? Okay? Your brain is not hard drive space. It's a muscle. It's a what? 
I talked to some saints, and, and they're like, Pastor, you know, I only have like two gigs in my brain, and it's like, I have no space in my brain anymore. I need a hard drive upgrade, okay? Because I, don't, I can't memorize it so hard. Now, if you, if you have a hard time memorizing, it's because your muscles are weak, okay? So memorize a very small verse to begin with, okay? Jesus wept. Amen, everyone? <laughs> Jesus wept. The shortest verse in Scripture, but emotively the most powerful Scripture, yes? And you move on. And then I would recommend, stop memorizing one verse at a time. Let's start memorizing passages, chapters, books. There are evangelical societies out there of young adults who are memorizing the New Testament together. The what? I said the New Testament. You're like, what? The New Testament? Okay, the whole thing. It is shorter than the Quran. And there's many Muslims out there, imams, who have memorized the Quran's backwards, and literally forward, <laughs> forwards and literally backwards. Okay, that wasn't weird. Okay, some tips. Read the Bible, quote it out loud. You can hear the Bible. These are, these are tips on how to memorize scripture more. If you quote the Bible, when you actually say it out loud, something happens in your brain, and actually you saying it, your brain's interacting, and when you say it out loud and your ears hear it, it actually interacts in a different way. So your brain registers on two levels. Uh, when you hear, get, get a good MP3 recording of scripture, I was really cheap and I got some guy with a southern accent. So every time you hear Proverbs, I hear a southern accent in my mind. It's forever in my brain. So get a really good uh, accented guy. Uh, Alexander Scors- Scorby is one of my favorite. He's got this British Shakespearean tenor of which he says the scriptures is awesome. Uh, one of my friends, 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 friends of whatever, the dry cleaner, uh, he wrote manuscripts of scripture. So what he does, he sits down and he, he writes it with his own handwriting and his his bible he finished his bible is like yay thick and he carries around wherever he goes but the cool thing is when the bible when the, when the pastor says let's open to revelation 15 he opens it and it's like in his own handwriting and he remembers what time how he wrote it what what condition he was where he was spiritually when he's when he when he reads this awesome stuff um, pray through the scriptures is another one. Study the scriptures, obviously. Memorize, you can just sit down, memorize them. Meditate on scripture. And this is what I want to emphasize. There's a false meditation out there. I don't have to go in through. This is like, um, empty my brain, empty my brain, don't think of anything. Oh, I thought of something. Oh, no, what do I do? I keep on thinking. Oh, I can't, how do I stop? How do I stop? I'm thinking about stopping. Oh, no, what am I doing? Okay, that's not meditation, amen? And a lot of people, they spend their whole lives trying to do that. The question is, why are you trying to empty your brain? As Christians, we should be what? Filling it. Now, meditation is, uh, through Scripture, is you emphasize every word of Scripture. For example, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created in the beginning, God created the heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you want to dramatize and make sure that you're all alone when you do that, not in front of a group of people. Does the meaning of Scripture just in a little way change each time you read it? It's as if you're juicing out as many vitamins from every word, you can get. and you do this while you're driving, you do this while you're taking a shower, you drive this when, you know, giving birth, whatever you gotta do, okay? 
Just, just get it in your mind. And what happens is you find yourself not getting bored. If you're listening to a boring sermon or the seminar that's never ending, okay, you just, just memorize your scripture and you go through it. You go through it, okay? Okay, you sing through scripture. Uh, by the way, there's an awesome app called scripturesinger.com. Uh, not dot com. The app is called Scripture Singer by the Fountain View people. Okay, you can draw scripture. Um, this, this was a, 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 a counsel from a parent whose kids do not know how to read yet. So he encouraged his kids to draw the picture out and get this. Every time the kid sees the picture that he drew, boom, scripture comes to his mind. Pretty cool. Uh, there's websites out there. My favorite website is called scripturetyper.com. Uh, I've used it for two years. And after two years, I've memorized 14 chapters of scripture. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying that to inspire all of us. It's doable. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's just a matter of diligence. It's not a matter of what? It's a matter of diligence. Uh, phone, get it on your alarms. When you, you know, um, apps out there, get it on the calendar. Read books about it, flashcards. Bible location is, what, what I mean by that is, for me, Romans chapter 1 is always on the left-hand side in the middle column. So meaning use the same Bible when you're memorizing. Um, highlight. Um, by the way, the highlighter is not a scanning device. It's just a merely highlighter. Um, mirrors or your house, post stuff all around. Gentlemen, when you're shaving, not ladies, gentlemen, when you're shaving, put some scriptures up on the mirror so that while you're shaving, you can memorize scripture. Ladies, on your you know, facial reconstruction center, uh, you can put your, your scriptures there, and it helps you memorize scripture. And a lot of us, we spend a lot of time in what? Commute. Use that time. Don't be listening to other junk. Memorize scripture then. Then, There's the first letter method. doesn't work for me, but sometimes it does. Walks or hikes. And lastly, it's music. Okay? My plea for all of you is this. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be involved with what Jesus did? There is this formal structure. I understand that. But instead of, instead of being cynical, ask yourselves, look, how does this work? And I want to be part of a worldwide, last-day, biblical movement. These big, lofty things. And how I get plugged into that is through my local church. Amen? Amen. Our next seminar will be on how to endure boring board meetings, what the purpose of board meetings are. And then the, 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 the seminars after that will be talking about how to win personally someone to uh, the Lord and how to bring them to your local church. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me and have a word of prayer. Let me bless all of us together in, in this endeavor. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, for the events for today, with all the seminars that are happening, we pray that in this great control center of the universe, your sanctuary, that you send your Holy Spirit and your angels to guide each soul to the right seminar room. Father, for the souls that have been here for this past 50 minutes, we have learned about your church, not a bureaucratic society, but the church as the object of your supreme regard. The church is not perfect, Lord, but it is your bride. Father, help us to be a part of it. Help us to be a, not just a part of it, but to be passionate about it. And not just to be passionate about it, but to help to move the gospel work forward. Help us to understand these, the, the business of heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. This message was recorded at the GYC 
2014 conference at the cross in phoenix arizona gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh-day adventist church seeks to inspire young people to be bible-based christ-centered and soul-winning christians to download or purchase other resources like this visit us online at www.gycweb.org